Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for this to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Uh, When the naturalists came to the newly discovered colony of Australia, they obviously found some animals that they'd never seen before. Uh, some very strange and unusual things. And in 1799, they sent a platypus specimen back to England for closer examination by the scientists there. Now, you might have heard this story. When it arrived, apparently the scientists there thought, this is some kind of hoax. This animal can't possibly really exist. Apparently, it wasn't uncommon back then for scientists to play tricks on each other and kind of make up an animal out of the parts of a few different animals. Practical jokes from scientists, who would have thought? But when this thing got back there, they weren't sure what it was, that it had this duck bill, but it had webbed feet, also had tail like a beaver, and they were told that it was an egg-laying mammal, and it had these claws as well. They were so convinced that this could not be true, they actually tried to take the platypus apart. And I'm told that on the original example that they sent back, you can still see where they tried to get the scissors onto the bill to remove it, to find out how it had been attached to the body by the scientists in Australia. In the early days of the Christian church, the same thing happened with the gospel message that was being preached. This gospel message sounded so unusual, so different to what the people of Israel were used to, people thought this must be some kind of hoax. I mean, it was so unlike anything that anyone had ever heard before. I mean, who's ever heard of God taking on human flesh? God dying on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin? Who's ever heard of sin being dealt with permanently? Who's ever heard of knowing God personally? They thought this must be some kind of hoax, that this couldn't possibly be true. And that's what we encounter in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
There are those who want to say that the message that Paul is preaching can't be true. It seems that they've infiltrated the church in Corinth and then they're encouraging them to revert back to familiar territory, back to the old covenant, back to the way that things were done before. Now, I'm sure most of us are probably familiar with uh, references, probably got one from a former boss or even from a friend that you've used for a job application or that kind of thing. Letters of reference are another thing or, or letters of introduction. First time we went to Zimbabwe, because we were kind of coming from a church in another country, I got David Jones, who was then the moderator general of the Presbyterian Church of Australia, to write a letter of introduction for me so that I could give that to the moderator of the church over there. So their church could know that the church over here was aware of who I was and what I was going over there to do. It was a, a handy thing to have. It kind of helped to break the ice and establish a bit of a relationship relationship with the church leadership in the church in Zimbabwe. And letters of introduction seem to have been a bit of a common thing back in Paul's day as well. If the members of one church were going to visit another church, they'd carry letters of introduction. And you see it there at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul starts with this idea. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we, like some people, need letters letters of recommendation to you or from you? Now, we can only guess at what Paul is hinting at here, but it seems pretty reasonable to assume that the detractors in Corinth, the ones who are putting question marks over Paul and his message, they've come with letters of recommendation. They've come from the church elsewhere with these letters saying that they're respected leaders. And I think Paul's being a little bit sarcastic in what he says here, because he says to the Corinthians, so do I need a letter of recommendation? Or, or, or what, what information would you like? The church in Corinth was a church that Paul had planted. He was the one who took the gospel to Corinth in the first place. He spent 18 months there with these people, growing this church and building up this church. This is a group of people he knew very well and a group who knew him very well, as if he needs a letter of recommendation. But Paul says the main reason that he doesn't need a letter of recommendation is that they are his letter of recommendation. Look at it in verse 2. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Can you see what he's saying here? The very fact that you exist as a church, well, that's confirmation of the message that I've preached there. The very fact that there are people who are living changed lives because of their faith in Jesus, it's confirmation of the message that I preached. See, if the detractors want to raise some doubts about Paul's authority or Paul's apostleship or even the message that Paul preached, Paul says, your proof of the message, your proof of my apostleship. And he takes that letter of recommendation step one step further by saying that you're a letter of recommendation from Christ himself. Now again, you've got to be clear about what Paul's saying here. Paul's not saying, aren't I great or haven't I done some wonderful things? And a few verses down, verse 5, he goes on to say this, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God 
He made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What he's saying to them is, you've already believed the truth. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Look at the impact that the gospel's had on your life. Changed lives and changed hearts. God is at work in you. All of that has happened because you have believed in Jesus. It's a pretty remarkable thought, isn't it? That their lives are Paul's letter of recommendation. Kind of wonder, you wonder what our church, what sort of letter of recommendation are we for the gospel? What kind of letter would our church be? I heard a story about a guy who went into a public toilet and he went into the cubicle and, and sat down to attend to matters and uh, just as he sat down, a voice came from the cubicle next to him and it said, uh, how you going? <laughs> and he wasn't quite sure what to say and he said, yeah, I'm going okay, thanks. And then the voice said, so what are you up to? <laughs> and he said, well, well, I've just come in to use the toilet. And then the voice next to him said, look, I'm going to have to call you back. The idiot in the cubicle next to me thinks I'm talking to him. <laughs> it's always difficult to know what's happening on the other end of a telephone you can, when you can only hear one side of the conversation. It's very difficult to know what the other side of the conversation is. And that's one of the difficulties that we have all the way through 2 Corinthians. We hear what Paul says about these detractors but we don't actually hear what they say. So we've only got one end of the conversation. We can try to piece it together, and I think we can be pretty close, but what, what Paul's detractors seem to be is Jewish Christians who've come in, they weren't denying that faith in Jesus was important, they were just saying that faith in Jesus wasn't enough. That if you want to be serious about God, then you need to be serious about God's law. You need to be serious about the law that came through Moses. It's an issue that we see in just about every one of Paul's letters. This old covenant creeping back in, this message about Jesus being supplemented, added to, with just a few laws, a few rules that you need to obey. They think that the message about faith in Jesus is, well, just a little bit too simple. And they think that the old covenant provides a clearer idea of how it is that God's people ought to live. Now, Paul doesn't quote directly from these two passages, but the two passages that he's got in mind are Jeremiah chapter 31 and Ezekiel chapter 36. If you grab your notice sheet, you'll see both of those passages on there. And I want to read them for you because they help us to understand the new covenant that God was bringing in through Jesus. This is what Jeremiah said hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Jeremiah said this, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then from Ezekiel 36, 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What has God promised? He's promised a new covenant. Not a a modified old covenant, but a whole new covenant. A new covenant that will supersede, that will be better than the old covenant. The old covenant came through Moses and was written on stone tablets, but it'll be replaced with a better covenant. God won't just give us laws, he will give us changed hearts. He will give us his spirit. And that's what God has done through Jesus. Paul is saying that in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will have what God has promised. You will have the privilege of being part of this new covenant that God has promised by faith in Jesus. You often see advertisers who are promoting products, they'll try to compare their product to another product so that you've got a a bit of a benchmark to to be able to look at. So if you're tossing up between the uh, Audi Q7 and the BMW X5, well, Audi very kindly give you a little comparison to show you the differences on on a number of different areas to show you what one's like compared to the other one. Well, Paul kind of does that with the old and the new covenant. I mean, the contrast that he gives here is is pretty stark. The word glory comes up eight times or 12 times when you count glorious. The word glory, glory or glorious comes up 12 times in this passage. It's probably helpful for us to just have some idea of what glory means. And I thought this was a good definition. Glory is the public expression of the presence and character of God. So Paul wants to say that the old covenant, it certainly came with glory. You know the story about Moses that whenever he met with God, he came out glowing with God's glory and he had to put a veil over his face because people couldn't look on him because he is reflecting God's character and God's presence. He's reflecting God's glory. But he wants to say that the glory of the old covenant just doesn't even compare to the new covenant. And he gives us this comparison. The old covenant was mediated through Moses. The new covenant is mediated through Jesus. The old covenant brings death. The new covenant brings life. The old covenant was on stone tablets. The new covenant's written on our hearts. The old covenant was fading. The new covenant is everlasting. The old covenant brings condemnation the new covenant brings righteousness. It's a bit like the sun and the moon. They both actually shine, but the moon can only shine the light that's reflected from the sun. One of them is really shining, and the other one is only reflecting the light from the sun. So Paul wants to say, if the old covenant is really just reflecting God's glory and the new covenant brings God's glory, why would you want to go back to the old? Now, it's a very specific issue that's being dealt with here in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about 
these Jewish Christians who've arrived in Corinth and come with their letters of recommendation and they're saying that the gospel message that Paul preached is a little bit too simple, a little bit too easy and they're wanting to bring in these elements of the old covenant. Now I want to say it's pretty unlikely that we are ever going to face a situation like that. That, That's not going to happen in our church here. We don't have to worry about Jewish Christians infiltrating and suggesting that circumcision or food laws ought to be brought back in. But we do regularly face a situation where people want to tell us that faith in Jesus is not enough, that you actually need something else. There'll be people who'll say, yeah, faith in Jesus is great, but you'll also need to perform this ritual or participate in this ceremony or give this amount of money, or obey these rules, or become an official member of this group. But what we need to be totally convinced of is that we are part of that new covenant that God has promised simply because we've placed our trust in Jesus. We've stopped trusting ourselves and placed our trust in the Son of God who paid the penalty for our sin. We need to be totally convinced that faith in Jesus is what God wants from us. We need to be totally convinced that all that God has promised is ours simply by faith in his son. But it goes one step further than that. It's not just a matter of being convinced of those things. We need to live that out as well. We need to constantly remember this new covenant that we're a part of, that we have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus. We have forgiveness and eternal life and a relationship that will never fade away. See, in the end, the encouragement that Paul gives to the Corinthians, even though their situation is different to ours, it's exactly the same encouragement that he'd want to give to us. So remember back in that old covenant, uh, Moses, when he came out of the tent of meeting, he had to put that veil over his face because he shone with God's glory. Well, that's, that's what Paul hints out here. Look at what he says right at the end of this passage, verses 17 and 18, because his encouragement to the Corinthians is the same one that we need to hear today. Now, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God's plan for us, as people who've entered into that covenant relationship with him, is that we will reflect his glory. That God's plan is that we will continually be transformed into the image of Jesus as we grow in our relationship with him. If we are reflecting God's glory in our lives, we are reflecting what Jesus is like to this world. Don't let anyone tell you that faith in Jesus is not enough and continue to embrace that relationship that you have with God as you continue to reflect God's glory everywhere you go.